HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Broadcasting live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com. What human invention is both a food, a cultural object, and a craft? We'll find out today on A Taste of the Past. So if you haven't guessed the answer to the question, what food is a human invention and a cultural object and a craft? Of course, it's bread. And bread, whether it's white, rye, wheat, oat, corn, or seven grain or 12 grain. I can't even think of 12 grains, I think. It's difficult to think of any other food more basic or more essential and more universal, a more universal food. It is, in fact, symbolic of food or sustenance and religious symbolism as well. Bread is the center of the concept of civilization, and it's the subject to fashion of the times. Joining me today to talk about all of this, about bread and so much more, politics, religion, um, economy, is William, William Rubel. William is the author of Bread, A Global History. He lives in Santa Cruz, California, and is a freelance food historian. He's been making bread since he was 11 years old and is the writer also for Mother Earth News, Gastronomica, um, many other journals. His earlier book is The Magic of Fire, Cooking on the Open Hearth. And I am so pleased to welcome today William Rubel. I, I was so involved in talking with you earlier, Ru- uh, William, that I, I forgot what I was going to say in the beginning of the show. There is so much to talk about, and it's bread. That's right, it's bread. So let's talk about bread. Okay, well, you know, people know that bread is has been around for a long time, but they think in their minds, a long time. About how long do we know it's been around? Well, there's a new um, branch of archaeology called archaeobotany, and now through the miracles of, of DNA, it's possible to, to find a starch grain, for example, in a grindstone in a, and, 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 and identify what that starch grain is from. Um, so there's an archaeologist that was working in the Sea of Galilee in an upper Paleolithic site, so something that's 22,000 years old, uh, a site 
10,000 years or more before the invention of agriculture. And they found starch grains, barley and wheat, deeply embedded in this in grindstone, which um, could only have gotten there if someone was making flour to make, to make bread. 22,000 years ago. So it suggests wow. that, that hunter-gatherers were gathering grains or where there weren't grains. For example, in Italy, there's a grindstone from 24,000 years ago with cattail and other starches embedded in it. So people have been making bread for a very, very long time. Mm-hmm. Well, and... But do we know these were were these gruel type breads? Were these you know dense things? We, what about what about leavening and, and yeast for breads as we know them today? Well, we don't know anything about them. <laughs> we can only postulate. <laughs> we sort Short of guess. question. If the, if if the well, the way this kind of you know, you're trying to put together a record when there's almost no data. So the way it works is you say, well, how would I get starch deeply into this grindstone? It would be by grinding. Mm-hmm. I mean, bread is. Um, you know, bread, bread is a dough that is, ma- that, is, that is kneadable, and it can be leavened with steam, which is just a very thin bread. Put it on directly on the embers in a fireplace, campfire, or even the burner on your stove, and you make a flatbread. That's how um, chapati are made mm-hmm. still in the countryside in India. If you let the dough sit around, it will be attacked by lactobacilli, um, and that's a sourdough starter. It's mostly bacteria. Oh, please. I remember the 60s and the 70s when, when one little plastic container of, of a starter would sit around on neighbors' counters and I think would probably travel to a um, hundred different people and we'd all feed our starter and pass it on to the next person and, and that's what it was. It was, it was yeah, fermented very, grain. It's very yeah. simple. It's just, it, it, it just happens. And obviously if you're in the Fertile Crescent where it's, you know, you're in Iraq, you're in Syria, you're in Palestine it's hot. The dough's going to sour very quickly. Right. Well, let's talk about the Fertile Crescent. Grain. Um, it, it's all about the grain. And, and that was one of the earliest crops we know of that was domesticated. Really. Right. The first domesticated crops were Anghorn, which is a kind of wheat, and, mm-hmm. and, and barley. That's right. So that was about, you know, 10,000 years ago. And basically, historians kind of tie this domestication and these crops to the start of civilization. Right, I mean, I mean, right, just to clarify your first statement, of course, we're talking about the civilizations that derived from the Fertile Crescent, so yes. around the Mediterranean right. and moved into Europe. Um, in, in, in Asia, civilization was built on rice. Mm-hmm. And um, in South America and Peru, they built, built it on potatoes. So bread is not the only staple food, but it is a, it's a staple, and it's a staple that built uh, allowed for the accumulation of material culture, the building of cities. Um, it allowed for the accumulation of surplus food, which allows you to have craft. So if we don't all have to be farmers, then somebody can be a stonemason, someone can be a priest, someone can be um, a bureaucrat to keep track of Because the they grains. don't all have to go out and get their food. There's, there's a surplus there that they can have it on hand and they can make their... That's right. Their and, bread. And, and, and bread is very handy in, 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 in a very dry climate because... You don't have to have water to boil rice. If you think of a place like China, um, if you're in the desert in Iraq, where are you going to get the water to to boil rice, to boil grains when you're out with your with your sheep? Mm-hmm. Um, so you can you can make bread with very little water. It's usually about fifty percent water by weight of flour, and then carry it with you. And and um, not all breads. I mean. They, there are so many in you in this book, this new book, um, Bread: A Global History. You have some wonderful illustrations, photos, and, and 
um, prints and drawings. And a lot of them, and even sculpture, uh, freeze reliefs of people kneading the dough, either grinding or kneading. And not all bread is necessarily kneaded. Well, the Oxford English Dictionary actually defines bread as a, as a, as a, as a kneaded dough. So, I mean, almost what, what's bread is almost an, an ethnobotanic you know, <laughs> category. When the Spaniards got to, got to, to, to Mexico, they recognized tortillas as bread. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, it was sort of, on the other hand, it wasn't bread with a capital B. Um, and even today, the, the bakeries that make bread out of wheat in Mexico are separate from the bakeries that make that make tortillas. So you're saying my banana nut bread is not really a bread. <laughs> no, well, it's it's a quick bread. It, yeah, it hasn't a been a staple bread. bread. And of course, a crepe is a bread. So in 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 in, in oh. Brittany, they lived on buckwheat crepes for a long time, and it functioned as a bread. But so you have a definition of something. I think we have to say it's a kneaded dough that can be leavened by steam, by a sourdough starter, or by yeast, mm-hmm. or of course also by by chemical leavening, which gives you your 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 Irish soda bread. Well, it's interesting because some of the um, the ancient uh, artifacts of bread, if you will, the uh, the ovens from you know ancient ovens that we have, we see especially Pompeii. People you know who travel can go to Pompeii and they can see um, the old ovens, and they can see uh, certainly people know that there were the ash covered and crusted. Bread loaves from you know leftovers. So, you know, jumping to what is a lot more modern history, mm-hmm. um, they look. It looks very much like the bread that we have today in our artisanal movement. Yeah, of course, the bread ovens in Pompeii—they're just the same as the bread ovens that are here at, at, at Roberta's restaurant where we're <laughs> here in Bushwick, Brooklyn. <laughs> in yes. Bushwick, Brooklyn. Um, yeah, it's a, um, a masonry dome. And uh, with a fire built inside the oven, the fire heats the stones. You essentially store the heat like a, the, the shell functions like a battery. Mm-hmm. Then pull the embers out of the oven when the stone is really hot and cook on the heat that's stored on the radiant, the radiant heat that's, that's stored in the wall of the oven. In Pompeii, there, there was an oven actually that was excavated with bread still in it. Mm-hmm. And those are a, a bread that, are a round bread, maybe about the size of the dinner plate, with, um, cut into sections or with, with scored sections. But there's also a very, very beautiful, uh, a fresco from a bakery in Pompeii, and, and it just looks like, the breads from bakery today, right? And right. of course, there's one aspect of bread that it is a natural process. If you, if you mix flour and water and and either sourdough starter or yeast, which they would have gotten from from a brewer, and you know, the the the, the dough is going to tell you how 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 stiff it has to be to to rise for the gases to be captured in the structure of the of the flour of the dough of the gluten structure of the dough so they're going to be the same as what we have today well i find it amazing that that a a food that is really been it has been the basis of of humans diet for at least in 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 our part of the world for millennia not the easiest thing in the world but it's you know that it to because you have to wait you have to wait so long for the crops to grow and then to to grind the wheat and to mix it up and then to bake it you know it would have been easier for them to go out and pick a carrot if they'd had carrots then that was later that came much later but well, it's, it's a know. highly technical I mean, it's a highly tech it's it, it's the most processed staple food 
So, you know, beans, you just harvest the bean, potatoes, rice. There are some like cassava that you actually have to work on to make it safe to eat. Right. But it's, it's, it's the most highly manipulated. And I think what I found interested in writing this book and thinking about it is it is an invention. There is no bread tree. Um, it's, it isn't like a carrot. Of course, by the way, carrot, you would have not enough protein. Protein. You couldn't right, live on a carrot. Well, whatever. We turn anyway, orange. That's right. right. <laughs> that's right. Um, so this is something where whether it's a, a loaf shape or whether it's flat, whether it weighs 20 pounds or whether it weighs only four ounces, whether you have a crispy crust or a soft crust, whether you have an open crumb or a closed crumb, whether it's whole grain or whether it's refined to be white, whether the white flour is the color of of snow or whether it's a little bit yellow or whether it's grayish or bluish tint all of these are factors that are under the control of the baker and 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 um and at one time or another one aspect has been preferred over another mm-hmm. um historically the larger the loaf the poorer you were the less refined the flour the poorer you can assume that the the diner was so a, a loaf that that someone would buy with say a flour that was not completely whole wheat, but you know, a little bit refined, moving towards white. Um, um, for a family, you might buy a loaf that weighed twenty pounds. Wow! Whereas on the on the on the aristocrat's table, on the king's table, you 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 would be down to something the size of a dinner roll. And even now, in a very fancy restaurant, they pass around a waiter passes around a, a basket with, yeah. with these small breads. With a choice, do you want the Olive bread or the whole wheat bread, right? And but it's a residual of sort of conspicuous consumption. There's more labor to make a small loaf, and then of course you've got the labor of a person bringing it around to you. Mm-hmm. And what I find, and I talk about in this history, what I found really, what I find really interesting about bread is that so much of it is an aspect of culture, and it says something about the culture that produces it. And when we buy bread, if you want to bring it to us now today, me. Um, the bread that you buy for the table also says something for yourself. Mm-hmm. I mean, would you buy um, a? We'll just use Wonder Bread as a oh, that a, poor maligned Wonder Bread. The poor right? maligned Wonder. <laughs> but would you just would you buy a, 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 a white pre-sliced um, loaf of 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 bread in a plastic sack that you get at a mass market grocery store if you were serving um, dinner for very very special company, or would you? try to get a loaf from an artisan bakery that's unsliced, wasn't baked in a tin, and has a beautiful crust. Now, both of these breads, you know, a white, your white bread from Sullivan Street Bakery and your white bread from that plastic um, can, um, bag, those breads are both nutritionally pretty much the same. Hmm. Furthermore, we're not living on it. The main starch for the meal is in the potato, it's in the rice, it's in the polenta, it's, it's, it's going to be on the plate. The person, when you're serving that fancy dinner, you're actually not expecting people to eat that bread um, for sustenance. And I think the difference between, you know, that's the, the angst, the concern, the care, and, 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 and the importance that you place on buying this beautiful artisan loaf, and they're also that you think it's beautiful, versus this industrial made loaf, is some cultural something, a cultural story. And, and that is something, you know, this, this, a global, this bread book that I've just written is a, is a, a small book. It's really an, an introduction to the field, and I'm more offering ideas and, and ways of thinking about bread than, than certainly answering all questions. Well, and you certainly do um, 
travel the globe in this book. I mean, as, as short and small as it is, you really um, you cover a lot of territory in terms of talking about breads in the different parts of the world and, and how they are and how they differ. And something that you made mention to um, was grains and grains used in breads and how it sort of defined classes or, or it was, grains were the, the separation of classes that um, kind of the, they controlled the, you know, the elite went to the more refined whiter flour at a certain period of time. Um, used to be that we had, I mean, we see in history and the breads were cruder with um, coarser grains. And then as, I guess, explain, why why did the whiter flour and the whiter breads become the more preferred by the upper classes? Well, a lot of this is guesswork. Yeah. Um, my theory is where there's gold, there's white bread. Where there's mm-hmm. beautiful jewelry, there's white bread. Where there's lovely fabrics, where there's carved stone palaces, um, there's white bread. So... When you sit down, um, the first time I ground flour on a, on a, on a grindstone, I, I visited a friend in, in, in Mexico, actually Rachel Laden, the culinary mm-hmm. historian. And um, she had a matate for grinding uh, masa, grinding uh, nixtamal into masa, uh, which is corn that's been boiled with, with lime. Um, I, I, brought, I brought wheat with me to her house, <laughs> figuring it might be hard to find in Mexico, uh, wheat berries. <laughs> So I just sat down on this thing in front of it. And, and, and first of all, it was an extraordinary feeling because it felt like I was born uh, with this, the, the rock, the flat rock you used to push the grain against the stone is called a mano. It felt like I had been born with this in my hand. You kneel in front of the rock and you then become part of the machine. It was the weirdest feeling. Hmm. So you get a rhythm going and just... Before the rhythm, you just, and you know, once you touch it, you realize... Well, it's like <laughs> this is genetics. This is <laughs> this is it. You know, like we were made something for this. in my DNA. There's said, something make in bread. my DNA. <laughs> well, what's what's obvious, and it just the epiphany was, my God, obviously you can make much more, much more perfect flour grinding it yourself than with a grindstone, you know, a water mill or a windmill or any system where or an electric mill where the grindstones are fixed. That's a robot. And it's a robot without any sensing mechanisms. Mm. But I'm a human. I'm this really smart, um, in this case, grinding machine. <laughs> so you, you instantly see you can grind flour any way that you want with this thing. Because first time off, you make beautiful flour. And imagine if you sat and did this every single day wow. for years and years and years. So white flour, what you first get is whole grain flour. Um, on a grindstone or on, on, a, on a stone mill or if you grind it in an electric mill mm-hmm. um, with, with metal burrs. Um, what you get is whole grain flour. You refine the white out of it by sifting. And it's still done that way in factories. So what determines whether you could make white flour or not, partly is the, or, or largely, is the, um, is, is the sifting technology. So if you had horses, you could make a horsehair sieve. Of course, you've got to have the idea to make a sieve. Make a sieve. Right? You have to have the idea that you want white How flour. am I going to separate this stuff? Right? But yeah. you're going to sit there and do it. And, and it, it, I mean, not necessarily on a, on, a, on, a, on a staple food mass market scale. Because really, the mass, the, the, the mass market white flour is 19th century and roller mills and, and industrial processing. Um, but 
you know, to be able to make enough flour to make a, a figurine for your lover or to make something to give to your god, you know, this is something you could have done for a long time. Mm. It also seems sort of common we see in human cultures fairly generally is this idea of conspicuous consumption. If I am in charge of you, if I'm the chief or the chief of the chiefs, then um, it tends to be that I have things that are more expensive, more re- command more resources than, 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 than the people who are working for me. Um, or below me on the social scale. So it, it, white flour is inherently wasteful because you use whole grain flour, if you have 100 pounds of grain, you have 100 pounds of flour. Mm. Um, to get the whitest white flour with older systems, you probably only would get 20 pounds of flour out of that 100 pounds of, wow. of grain. Yeah. But it's not that the 80% is thrown away. It can be reground and was reground and... And given to your servants, or or, fe- or and then or or today fed to, fed to livestock, right? Right, or even then fed to livestock. Mm-hmm. And of course, if you could command a palace, if you, if you think of these amazing palaces in the, in 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 the Near East, in three thousand years ago, or three thousand BC, or fifteen hundred BC, um, certainly they could have had. Oh, they had to feed a lot of people. <laughs> no, but the thing is that they had the resources to command to get themselves white flour. Right. So white flour is about the bread being it's about an idea of of bread that is light and white i think and pure and i think that's an idea that drives and has driven the production of of of, of wheat um ever since well we're going to take a short break and when we come back we're going to talk more about the white flour versus the whole grain flour Foods Market creates win-win partnerships with our suppliers, and we love to tell their stories. Simply Grazing Organic Farm, a family-owned operation, provides some of the highest standards in animal welfare around. Their 100% grass-fed beef comes from cows grazing outdoors with very little interference from the husband and wife team behind them. Come have a taste in one of our six Manhattan locations. We are back talking about bread with William Rubel, the author of Bread, A Global History. And William, you were talking about the, the refined white bread and being associated with the, um, those with more means uh, and, the, well, the upper class. It takes more time and it's wasteful. There's waste. I'm not waste, as you said, but... Well, it um, means you can afford to buy 100 pounds of grain and just to make 20, 20 pounds, of bread. pounds of bread, right. And, 20 pounds of flour, you have yeah, water right, to fine. it, so... Um, and there was another something else you had mentioned um, in a conversation earlier, and, and that, of course, is 
um, a lot of the religious connotations of bread. Give us this day our daily bread, and there, and on and on. But the host used in, in the sacrament is made with the whitest white of flour you had mentioned. Well, actually, I ran across the storefront in, um, in London, in central London, uh, that sells hosts for um, the Anglican Church. And uh, they have jars of white hosts. They have whole wheat hosts. Oh, it's, it's and a new gluten, age store. And gluten-free, gluten-free hosts. hosts. That's right. <laughs> so it really tells you that, at least in the Anglican Church in England, that actually whiteness is not required for the host. Um, but historically, uh, one first starts reading about it in, in, in health manuals and agricultural texts in the 1500s. So they'll where they talk about wheat and flour and bread, and you get the, the, the finest flour was called pollen flour, hmm. and that was used for the host, and then also fine pastries. Well, certainly um, in, bread enters largely into, into different texts, religious texts. And right, that goes back forever, ever, ever. Mm-hmm. The, first literature, the first work of literature we have is the Epic of Gilgamesh. Right. Um, and... In the Epic of Gilgamesh, the wild man becomes human by getting drunk, eating bread, and making love. That separates him from the beast. Huh? <laughs> it separates him from the beast. I thought it was fire. Right? <laughs> well, <laughs> I, like the, I like your version better. <laughs> well, that's the version in the story. Uh, and they, the, in, in um, Mesopotamia, this is sort of the same time as in Egypt, they gave breads and beer to the gods, um, to, the, to the temple you and there's many lovely verses about how we're giving you the best bread and the best beer. Hmm. In Egyptian um, religion, they also brought bread and beer to the to the gods. And in the in the pyramids, people were buried with breads. That's right, and they they did. Um, we have when they excavated some of the tombs, some of the pyramids, they found loaves of bread. They found types of bread. Lots and lots and lots of yeah. breads. We actually don't know the relationship between those breads and the breads people actually ate hmm. but there are lots and lots of breads there well it's interesting the beer and the bread kind of they're going together well, beer and bread go together they're both ways of processing grain grains, and preserving yeah. gra- bre- grain and then the beer gives back again in the form of the yeast that's very nice yeah, that's right i like that relationship that's right yeah it tastes good too that's right, right. and of course <laughs> in deal. jewish religion you have the sort of exodus and the the, the, the flatbread, the matzah. That's right. They didn't have time to let it rise, right? There was no use. So they didn't like, have time to let it rise, so they, it was just a, an unleavened flatbread. Right. And, of course, in the Christian religion, uh, Jesus in the Catholic religion is transformed. You have this little bread, and it is his body. body. And when you put take the body, you take the bread into your mouth, it's transformed literally into the body of, of Jesus Christ. And in the Protestant religion, it's the idea rather than the body itself. Right. And you have the separation of, between the Greek Orthodox Church and the Church of Rome in whether that was a leavened bread or an unleavened bread. So in a Greek Orthodox Church, actually the bread for communion is, is leavened. Hmm, interesting. Um, yeah. Well, the grain, I mean, it's interesting that grain, well, grain was, you mentioned earlier, grain is something that could be kept so it could have a surplus, so you could, you didn't have to worry about uh, starvation, right? and or or yeah, you getting your meal for a year or two, three years. Yeah, yeah. well, that's right. Yeah, that's as long stable. as it didn't rot and ferment and <laughs> on its own. Yeah. Um, but it was also used as a political tool, you know, an economic and political tool, especially in ancient Rome. We had the dole, you know, the anona. They keep the grain and 
and in times of war or hardship, they'd pass it out to the the people. They'd get their allotment, depending on their status, right? But um, And then, it, as the saying goes, whoever controlled the grain controlled Rome in the Roman Empire. So it was used, uh, much as then salt became later on, it was used as a, a political tool. Well, right. I mean, well. we're. I mean, the United States is a very big grain producer, and we use grain also as a political tool. It's a big. Um, it's used in foreign aid, and uh, it's um, it's, it's, a, it's it's still a big tool. It's but not oil, but it's grain. Right? It's not oil, but it's <laughs> grain. That's right. The grain trade is the most ancient trade. Um, but the one thing I try to talk about in my book that's I think different from from most other bread histories is first of all to talk about bread in, 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 in the sense that it's, a, it's an invention of culture. There is no good bread or bad bread. It's not written up in the stars. Um, you may say, this is great bread, that's awful bread, or even that loaf of bread in that plastic um, bag isn't bread. But that's cultural, and, and what I think I'm trying to help people is sort of step back from yourself, look at bread like you're an historian. I also try to answer questions is, why is wheat the largest grain crop in the world mm-hmm. by acreage? Mm-hmm. And, and I, I believe that it's because of this interest in light and white. Because we could have barley could be the main right. grain, or, or, or rye. It doesn't have to have been wheat. I think there's been cultural pressures for thousands of years in favor of light and white and and and, and sort of to I think we're, we're near we're closing in in defense of in defense of light and white i think what you want is an appropriate bread for the food you're eating it with certainly when we eat it like a condiment mm-hmm. now that and we, we have that privilege and that choice the in today's society we can do that that's right, right that's right so when you the the the, the whiter the flour I mean, not bleached, but artificially bleached. Mm-hmm. But, but white flour gives the baker more latitude for developing flavors, whether you're developing it with your sour starter or with yeast, mm-hmm. um, whether you have leaven it in, in, in an hour or five hours or 20 hours, is going to have a subtle effect on the dough and the finished bread. So, so the lighter the flour, the more the, sh- the, the baker is able to express his or her um, um, feelings and ideas about bread, and then when you eat a meal, if you if if you've just I'm in New York, we've just been paying. A f- I'm here f- for a visit for a week. You you know, pay a hundred dollars for dinner. Uh, you want to be able to taste those subtle flavors that 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 the chef has put in these dishes that that we're paying so much for, and a, a, a rye bread um, or a whole grain wheat bread. These are wonderful foods, but they may not be. The right not food, the right foil for the right a great dish. That's right. You may not want a foil. That's right. You may want more like a drone. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, a whole grain bread made with freshly ground flour. Up until recently, the flour was ground and then eaten. And you'll find that if you can grind your own flour and make a whole grain bread out of it, you will create a bread that is a food in itself. And you can sit down really to a meal just of this whole grain, freshly ground um, um, bread, and some cheese, and cheese or a little bit of, of fresh, fresh churned butter, butter, yeah. or a little salami, and and, and and you have really a meal a in meal, itself. Yeah. And that would be a really ancient meal because historically, our ancestors, we all got here um, <laughs> thanks to people who were not as 
wealthy and mm-hmm. as we are, who didn't sit around with uncalloused hands all day, and uh, and and they would eat you know a pound or two of, of bread a day, and and it was just a little condiment on the side that. Um, well, if you look at the um, migration of bread and types of bread through history, recent history, you know that we yes we went more to the white breads and and now suddenly everything's turned back again and we're back to artisanal breads and different grains and as you said choosing what type of grains you want with what meal what kind of bread you well, want Well Linda we are we are and we aren't because the overriding interest in the bread being light not dense mm. still operates mm. so it's a very rare artisan baker that gives you the kind of dense bread that was the real country bread of France the real pain de campagne was not the Panda Companion we're eating. The Panda Companion we have now um, was written about in, in the 18th century. You can trace it back. But it's a bourgeois bread, and it's um, more like, at the most, 20% rye flour, 20% hmm. whole grain. It's mostly white flour. And um, we like it to be light. So our, our whole grain breads um, are more like white bread than the dense Chewy, chewy breads without visible holes in them that were the staple breads of the past. Mm-hmm. You're talking to someone who likes the dense, chewy, and so do I. Bread. <laughs> so do I. I have a friend who comes. I have, I have a very difficult friend. It's the kind of person who brings his own wine um, and, then, <laughs> and then eat it. You bring. He your says, own William. Bread. <laughs> he says, William. Why are you going to make bread that's really good? <laughs> Well, tell me, okay, so you've been, you just got news that your your bread oven was, was tilting a little bit. Um, you do your own baking, and you've been baking for many years. Tell me about your baking process. You Do you bake in a wood-fired bread oven? Well, um, Raya Tennant's just um, emailed me that my oven has fallen over. Oh, it's dear. been raining all week in California while I've been here. And um, it's a new oven. I, I build them fairly often. So I... I'd like to grind my own flour, have a flour mill, mm. um, and I do have or had a wood-burning oven. I build them very simply, so it isn't a huge tragedy that I have to start over again. Um, and, um, but you will buy the grain from a reputable farmer, right? I, don't tell me you're growing your own grain now. I'm not growing. Actually, I do grow some corn for polenta, but okay. um, no, I buy, the, I buy bulk grain. Where I live, it's easy to buy bulk grain, so uh-huh. I buy two blocks at the corner grocery I could Buy wheat berries or rye berries or barley. Uh-huh. And you do you experiment with lots of different types of grain breads? All the time? I do, and I sift it. I, I, I will also go towards white flour often. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm very, you know, I, I don't read recipes. I, I guess I write them. I just think you put flour and water together and a little bit of yeast or a lot of yeast if you're in a hurry or some sourdough if you have a starter lying around. And, and just listen to the dough and um, don't, don't rush it if it can't be rushed and uh, it's always good i also think that everything you make yourself is always better that's great well that was a wonderful um statement that you i heard you make the other night you said would you want to eat this loaf of the unnamed bread a bread that was made entirely by a machine no human hand had ever touched it well you know it makes it for a good sandwich occasionally uh, or do you want this loaf which was crusty chewy dense, full of holes that probably had been touched by several hands. <laughs> I know we have to close, but I want to just follow up on that. I think right now 
we are using bread as something that we want to have as a craft object. Uh-huh. Whereas I'm, uh-huh. you know, my, my wonderful iPhone, all these machines that, while they are touched by people, are really, you know, robot machines. Um, and we love them and they're beautiful. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, right now, where we are in our culinary culture and our material culture, I think bread is something that we are asking, or many of us are asking, to be a handmade object. And um, I think it's something to think about. Why? And will that be true in 20 years or 50 years? You heard it. It's the closing question from William Rubel. Thanks so much, William. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Linda. It's been A Taste of the Past, and I'm your host, Linda Palaccio. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening.